Hi, friends. This is Under God. I'm Isaiah Lewis. And I'm Jackie Newsom. And we are two outsiders who are coming together to question the text and build community. Thanks for listening. Do you think we need to explain Lectio Divina again? Absolutely. So what I understand this to be is, is a prayer practice. And it's a way to connect with God, to center yourself, engage in the biblical text, and sort of explore what you may be hearing from the divine. And, the, and this is a multi-step process. And the way we're going to do it is one of us each time is going to read the scripture and then we're going to do some sort of what I'm going to call because I'm a lawyer issue spotting things that jump out at you. What's happening here that is calling your name. And I think whatever speaks to you is a function of your life speaking to you, which is something that who wrote, um, listen to your life speak. Uh, Parker Palmer. Yes. Right. So essentially I think, I know for me, when we first read the text and I start thinking about what stands out to me, in some way, shape, or form, that's going to be a reflection of my life speaking or my training speaking, right? We are the sum total of our lived experiences. And then we're going to read the text again, right? And in between, we'll we'll give you the master of divinity context, right, that we have learned because we are experts, trust us. And (laughs) then we're going to read it again and then continue to sort of reflect and explore. And we welcome you to join in. So if what you want to do is pause the podcast after the first time we read, so you don't, you know, you're not tainted by us, that's fine. And if you want to pause it the second time we read, that's fine. And then you can listen to what we're talking about. Yeah, I love the idea of issue spotting. I'm going to think about that a lot. So I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. When eight days had passed, Jesus' parents circumcised him and gave him the name Jesus. This was the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. When the time came for their ritual cleansing, in accordance with the law from Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. They offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace, according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed by what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this boy is assigned to the cause of the, is assigned to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that generates opposition so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your innermost being too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, who belonged to the tribe of Asher. She was very old. After she married, she lived with her husband for seven years. 
She was now an 84-year-old widow. She never left the temple area, but worshipped God with fasting and prayer night and day. She approached at that very moment and began to praise God and to speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had completed everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to their hometown, Nazareth, in Galilee. The child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. (laughs) All right, so now we're just going to take a moment and... um, just kind of say some some words and phrases that stuck out to us. If you would like to pause, now would be the time to pause if you don't want to hear us before you think of your own. Yeah. The generates opposition stood out to me. Yeah. That felt like really strong language. Anna being married I I heard it and read it as Anna being married for only seven years, mm-hmm. and now she's eighty four. Those numbers stood out to me. Uh, Simeon took Jesus in his arms. Mary, like speaking up, stood out to me. Simeon and Anna are both described as like righteous, and that's always followed by the restoration of Israel. Or the redemption of Jerusalem. In accordance with the law, or like now that the law has been completed, or, you know, fulfilled. Anna is described as a prophet. The number of times salvation is mentioned and revealed. Revealed also shows up a couple of times, at least twice. The last... First, the child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Can I say why? Yeah, you can say why. Because, like, isn't this Jesus? Like, I feel like that verse is written like a surprise. We should talk about that. With Simeon, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Like, what yeah. kind of what kind of promise is that? Like, yeah. That's- yeah. That's intense. Yeah. Um, And also, both Simeon and Anna are, like, really old, which I think is interesting. The last one I have is, is, feels really small, but it's, I don't, I don't know what that means, but I'm like, what? Turtle doves? Is this a Christmas song? (laughs) I'm done. That's all I have. All right. And and, in a tweet, what's the context? (laughs) The gist of it is, the early Christians who were like, who Luke was, who was writing for felt like they felt disappointed because they thought Jesus was going to come and the world was going to end and it didn't. And that felt like a crisis. Um, and so what Luke is kind of trying to say to them is like that through Jesus, like God comes and acts in history and, and the salvation happens that way. Not that there isn't going to be an end at some point, but like that the acting in history is is the the work of of Christ's salvation. 
So let's take a step back because I feel like what you're revealing may not be known. So folks, what you're saying is that Luke wasn't there when Jesus was eight writing it down. Yeah, it's not a documentary. That's really important. You're right. This is being written uh, around 64 CE. So like 30 years later, this is like second generation folks who are trying to remember and tell each other what the story of Jesus is and why it matters. And they're disappointed because they thought they were going to get snatched up to heaven and they weren't. And that's a crisis. And so now they're trying to figure out, okay, but like, who is Jesus? The author of Luke, who may not actually be named Luke, has a certain goal. They, and of course, I like to believe that perhaps some women were at the writer's table. (laughs) They were trying to get a certain message across in light of the crisis that folks were in at the time they were writing, which again was different than the time in which they're saying these events actually occurred. And so that matters. There's something at stake for these writers. There's something that they're trying to get across. They have a goal. This does not mean that there is no divine inspiration, if that's something that is important to you. What this means is that humans were involved with the writing of this text. Word. Okay. So that being said, you want to you wanna read it again and then talk about it? Yes. Hold on. Let me. Let me clear my throat. So Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. Yeah. When eight days had passed, Jesus' parents circumcised him and gave him the name Jesus. This was the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived. When the time came for their ritual cleansing in accordance with the law from Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It's written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. They offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. A man named Simeon was in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout. He eagerly anticipated the restoration of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Led by the Spirit, he went into the temple area. Meanwhile, Jesus' parents brought the child to the temple so that they could do what was customary under the law. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed by what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This boy is assigned to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that generates opposition, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your innermost being, too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, who belonged to the tribe of Asher. She was very old. After she married, she lived with her husband for seven years. She was now an 84-year-old widow. She never left the temple area, 
but worshiped God with fasting and prayer night and day. She approached at that very moment and began to praise God and speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had completed everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to their hometown, Nazareth, in Galilee. The child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So similarly to last time, we get to take a pause, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you can mute us or do whatever you do, pause us. First of all, I want to call this man Simeon, and that comes from knowing someone whose name is Simeon. Um, So just the pronunciation I'm like dying to do differently. But looking at, and I think this may fly in the face of the commentary that I read in preparation for this reading, but in looking at he was righteous and devout, and then the, the very next line underneath is the Holy Spirit rested on him, and the lack of definition of righteous and devout, but the presence of the Holy Spirit is really interesting to me. Because when we talk about, if we're invoking the memory of Moses, mm-hmm. right? And if we're invoking the memory of folk in the Old Testament who engaged in grave errors, errors that would put them, in my context, in cages, perhaps forever, right? Mm. When we talk about Moses killing a man. Yeah. And so the idea that I don't know anything about Simeon, <laughs> I don't know anything about him, but he gets to be righteous and devout and the Holy Spirit is on him. And the Holy Spirit is like making good on this promise. And I have no idea what he's done in his life or what he hasn't done, right? We don't, we don't spend time on all of that. I have no idea how he's erred or, or failed, right? Yeah. All yeah. I know is that the Holy Spirit is on him and he's gotten the promise. Yeah. And he doesn't even see the works, right? He doesn't see Jesus healing and working miracles and feeding and dying on the cross and then rising again. He sees a baby. Yeah. He's and he's pooping on himself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I'm good. Like I'm ready to die. Like, this is it. This is what I needed. And that's like, that's enough for him. And in this way that feels like huge too, that there is this like promise that has been fulfilled for him that like, yeah, God, kept god's word to him right yeah but also like i don't know like anna like anna's really interesting to me too because like she's called a prophet right she's you know she probably got married around 14 something like that had seven years of marriage so she was like probably roughly like 21 something like that when her husband dies she's 84 now so she spent like 
six decades in this temple, living her life, praying, fasting. She's living way longer than most people had any chance of living. And like, she sees this baby too, right? And she, like, her response isn't to be like, all right, I can die now. But Anna goes around and she's like, I need you to know. Like, I need you to know that this kid is is going to bring about the redemption of Jerusalem. In my head, I I have this image of her just going around and like shaking people in this way that like old women can sometimes just be very, very intense <laughs> and like not care what you were about to do because she has something to tell you. And I don't know, like I, I wonder how those these two people kind of receiving this baby who you're right is just like, he's just laying there like maybe pooping himself maybe you know sucking his thumb or whatever like not worried about it but like these two people are receiving him in these really kind of dramatic ways and now so i don't know the answer to this so i need your help but it what's this is making me think of is when the women are at the temple Uh uh-huh and you know I, i believe the sort of interpretation that the women were first at the temple the first to know jesus or at the tomb the first to know jesus rose and then they they are in charge of telling everybody else yeah right and so seeing a woman at the beginning of the story telling people about who jesus is and then women if you will at the end of the story air quotes being the first to tell people who jesus is Mm -hmm. it seems interesting to me so you you brought up earlier this the turtle doves right teach me about the turtle doves (laughs) so there's a little small b in my bible a little footnote and i get excited about footnotes because it feels like a clue and then it says if you follow to the bottom of the page it says leviticus 12 verse 8 so i followed that what's going on in leviticus that you feel like i need to know about the turtle doves and the answer is that the turtle doves are really important because like this is a sacrifice that jesus parents and specifically jesus mother right mary um is supposed to give for her ritual impurity because she she gave birth and so this is how she kind of re-enters the community like she's off of quarantine from having this baby and the rule says that you you have to give a sacrifice so so what leviticus chapter 12 says is that like what you're supposed to offer in order to re-enter the community after you've given birth is a lamb, a one-year-old lamb, and that's going to be a burnt offering. That's what you're supposed to do. But it says if you can't afford that, if you don't have enough money to provide a one-year-old lamb, then what you do instead is you give two turtle doves or two pigeons, and that's an acceptable offering. So that's like a sliding scale kind of temple offering. What's interesting to me about that, what stands out to me about that is like it's providing the context that like, yeah, Mary and Joseph don't have much. Jesus knows what it is to be poor. I've heard pastors talk about Jesus is poor and then I've heard pastors challenge just how poor Jesus was. Mm hmm. What's your what is your understanding in light of in light of the the sliding scale offering that is given here? What what is your understanding of that? I mean. I guess if they were like 
well and truly poor, they wouldn't have anything to offer at all. So there's that, right? I guess what I would ask is like, I'm not sure that I know, but I wonder what it changes if Jesus is or isn't poor. And I think for me, the question is, or I want to be careful to not exaggerate his poverty for the sake of trying to fit him into a level of understanding. I don't want to have to ever be dishonest in order for him to be an ally slash co-conspirator slash someone who understands. I get right. And this is my own thing and my own complexity is like, as someone who grew up economically middle class, what does that mean about, about my positioning to the poor? And to the extent we engage with Adas Azidias and, and sort of charity versus solidarity, who is a, a mujerista theologian, right? Can I engage in solidarity even if that's not fully my lived experience? And is it dangerous? And I think about the white majority. Is it dangerous to require that in order to have understanding, you must have had the experience? Because then I think what follows is what I like to call narrative pimping or this sort of like, well, you got to tell me how bad it is because that's the only way I'm going to understand. And so if we can have a Jesus, if I can have a Jesus who wasn't out on the street or, or consistently or maybe had some sort of ebb and flow of financial status, right, or economic status, and yet still fundamentally not just cared for but stood in solidarity with the poor. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? But again, right, my whole understanding of capitalism can be one that Jesus is like, you're in the wrong place. Anyway, okay, I'm done. Wait, wait, say that, that part again. What do you mean? Like, my need for, for us to live presently in a place where everyone, regardless of economic status, cares about the poor, maybe I'm missing the mark. Because right? when I think about the poor, I know Mother Teresa, when referring to folks in the United States, was like, well, maybe they're not financially or economically poor, but ooh, the way y'all act, <laughs> you know, y'all are poor. <laughs> Like may, maybe I'm being too literal or maybe I'm missing something about the mission of Jesus Christ. I don't know. This is all self-interested, right? I don't want to be out of the circle of grace because I'm not poor. And so I'm looking for another way to make sure I can engage in solidarity, even though I haven't been there. I don't, I mean, my, my, my first impulse is like, I don't think anyone is ever outside of the circle of grace. I just don't think that's a thing, right? Like, because at that point, it it isn't grace. Um, mm. You end up with this, and 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 I say this because like this is something that I absolutely struggle with too, right? Of like, well, either either you have to be so good or so bad in order to get grace, and nowhere in the middle. When in reality, everybody is a mixture of both, right? Like, regardless of the details of what those what are the things that are your you know your sins and your addictions and the things that you know the ways in which you enact violence but also like the violences that are enacted on your body um the ways that you respond to that like the kindness and the solidarity the love that you kind of share in in your communities like all of those things like may be different but ultimately like we are all bound in grace because if 
a single one of us were not, then it would not be grace for all of us. Like that mm-hmm. is the like like Christ offers us the ultimate solidarity. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned, and I think it's really interesting. The child grew up and became strong. Uh, he was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. And you were like, "What's going on there?" So we could. It's either- just like duh. Like this is Jesus. What you mean? Like was there was there an option? For Jesus to not grow up and become strong? Was there an option for him to not be filled with wisdom and God's favor on him? Like, didn't we didn't we already go through this in the beginning when Mary became pregnant and there was promises? I'm confused. Did we need this additional line here? Like, or did somebody not edit it out correctly? I just feel like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> no, I think that's really interesting. I think that's really interesting because in the, the church that I've been going to, one of the things that we end up talking about a lot which in other churches i not really experienced is like the goodness of like human freedom right and like if jesus obviously humans have the ability to choose bad things and do all the time like all the time but like that like god wants to have a relationship with us and in order for us to have a relationship that relationship is consensual right like and so in order for there to be consent you have to have the ability to choose otherwise. You have to have the ability to choose to do something else. And so, like, if Jesus is God, but is also, like, a human, a human baby who then, like, grows up, Jesus has to have a choice, has to have have a learning process of what does it mean to be, a, you know, kid in this community and now a teenager and now an adult and read all the scripture and you know get that in him like if he just had that somehow in his brain to begin with he wouldn't be human because he wouldn't have to learn and that's such a big part of growing up you know if jesus is going to come to be with us to live with us and experience what it means to be a human he has to have choice and it seems like here like he's he's filled with wisdom and God's favor is on him, but like he's he's growing and learning and continually choosing, like, okay, like I will I will follow God in a way that we still sort of have to do ourselves. So that's what I made of it for me. Okay, no. It's no? how like no. Okay. Not no, you're wrong because yes, I th- I actually think you're right to the extent that there's any opportunity to be right in a very uh subjective context. <laughs> um I I don't want that. Why? Because I want I want my Jesus to like have been this super baby with muscles already. And <laughs> super baby. Yeah, it's like I'm actually thinking about the rapper the baby. Like when he performed on BET, his song Shug, he had in these like fake muscles in his shirt or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like that's what I think about when I think about baby Jesus. Like, no, you already got muscles. Yeah, you're already just like. I'm strong. Of course, I'm half favor and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want this sort of, well, yeah, Jesus is human. And so Jesus made this choice and like, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want my Jesus like that. That's not how I want my Jesus. Like, I think that that is a perfectly reasonable explanation that you gave and just not one that I want. I'm trying to figure out why other than I want, I just, I wanted to have been a foregone conclusion that Jesus was going to be filled with wisdom and God's favor because Jesus is divine. 
and I like the not part divine, fully divine and fully human, right? Because I want to maybe, because I want to be fully human and sort of automatically understood to have God's favor on me and be filled with wisdom. I don't know. Like, I just don't want this sort of like opportunity to choose that. I want that to like come with being born. I don't, right? Like, I want some stuff to like come with it. Like, you know, you buy something, you're like, and we're going to throw in these things. Like, I want, (laughs) I want that to have been thrown in. I don't want that, right? I want it to be like, well, of course, of course, this is true for Jesus. There was never a time where Mary or Joseph were like, well, we don't know what's going to happen with this one. Like, I know God told me this thing, (laughs) but he got one more time to not wash these dishes. Like, I, you know, like, I don't want that. I want it to be like, yeah, when Jesus was teaching in the temple and they left their child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was in there. That was in there. Of course, Jesus was teaching the temple at 12 years old because Jesus was like, by, by 12, he could, you know, move a bus. Like, I that's that's the jesus that i want Um, but he was also kind of a jerk to them when he when they found him they were like we were looking all over for you where the heck were you and he was like obviously right i'm about my father's business like like, i've been doing what i do yeah like that doesn't feel like wait or when jesus when mary is like fix this fix this wine situation and jesus is like it is not my time like yeah, get out like, of my face. He's like woman. Like and you're like, right. oh he called his mom a woman. Right. Like, this is not gonna go well. Like and then she's like, Yeah, all right. So y'all go do what he say do. Like, but that but that sort of consistent power, I I almost want it to be that Mary and Joseph didn't appreciate who Jesus was. So they were the ones causing the confusion, not Jesus being a 12 year old who was like, they said it's time to go, but I'm not ready to go yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's just my two cents in the in the line. Yeah, no, I I hear you. And and it's something that I've kind of been I mean, anybody who's been in my church can attest to the fact that this is something that I also like stresses me out, but like like I don't think it's either Jesus had God's favor or he was human right like i don't know if this makes sense but like you can have god's grace and not choose it or you could have god's grace and choose it and like that makes a big difference in how you live but it's like like god doesn't love you less if you are hurting lots of people or whatever but like how you respond to god's love once you kind of get it like that tends to like change how you live so I think the problem that I have is like I don't like the choice aspect mostly because it makes me uncomfortable probably like the poverty aspect because then I think about the men and women that I pass every day walking to work at the public defender's office there's a big convention center downtown um, Philadelphia and it's like a overpass I guess is how you describe it so there's it's a little bit warmer under there right it's a bit um darker under there aka like less sunny in a way that like could protect you from the elements sort of thing and there are folks sleeping under there right they have their blankets sometimes people come up and give them food did did they pick 
or not pick grace? Did they not, like, how do we end up in that situation? And so I think, and this is coming from someone who has this seminary degree, right? Who spent three years, who grapples with the text and knows better than to engage in this bad theology. But when we talk about choice like that, I, what, what, did, what does Dr. Scheib call it? Like your embedded theology. Yes. Yeah. My embedded theology is like, so is that how you ended up here? Cause you picked something wrong. You know, like that is where I get to. And I feel like that is why I try so hard or my interest or my bias in, in rejecting that notion. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I Fix hear it, Isaiah. <laughs> yeah, no, that stuff's real deep. Like that's deep. Um, and, and I think that's sort of what the good news is here is that like, it's not a question of like God choosing or not choosing Jesus, right? It's not a question of God choosing or not choosing you based on what you did, right? Like, I don't think it's saying that. I don't think Jesus was like, I don't think God would have chosen Jesus less if Jesus was like, I'm not going to go die on that cross. But I think that like, and I, and I absolutely do not think that people who are living out of housing right didn't pick right and that's why they're there that's not a thing god does not love you more if you have more money god is not punishing you with illness god is not you know that's not a thing and but we have been sort of i think tacitly taught that like we've like you didn't come up with that on your own i didn't come up with that on my own right so the scripture what is it i've never seen the righteous forsaken Uh uh-huh is like, what well, I have every day. What you mean? Why are these people on the street? What are you talking about? Right? Because to me, it's like either they're not righteous or they have been forsaken. Yeah. Is yeah. what is what gets me. It's like, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. What is it? Or or his seed begging for bread or something like that. Is that actually Bible or did black people just make that up? I'm going to Google it. Okay. I don't know that verse. But that notion, that saying throws me off every time because I'm like, what? How? Sway? Yeah. A lot of the folks that I go to church with live outside, live on the street, right? Like, and there are absolutely times when they feel forsaken. There are absolutely times when I feel forsaken, right? Like, but I don't think that we are. It's Psalm 37, 25. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Well, at least it's Bible and not folklore, but... um... Yeah, I mean, like, a psalm is a person singing. Like, it's a person's prayer, right? Like, in some ways, it's like a hope or it's a conversation with God. So we've been engaging the context inappropriately and using it to oppress people, right? You are, oh, you don't have this? Well, that's because you're not righteous. Right. I mean, like, if that were the case, like, Jesus is born to, like, a young woman in a small town in a conquered place. And it has to, like, go on the run because people want to kill her baby, right? Like, that sounds pretty forsaken, but that's how, like, Jesus shows up. Word. It would be a different conversation if, if we were talking about, like, a God who shows up, like, fully formed and, like, super rich and is, like, if you want to be healthy and beautiful and super successful in life, follow me. But, like, that's not what we're looking at. I don't know, in in my own life. And I feel like maybe in yours, like there are these moments where you're like, yeah, we're 
we're not forsaken. Like this suffering sucks, but it's not God didn't do it. You know, God is with us through it. Right. I mean, there are plenty of days where that's not how I feel, but like Jesus knows what it feels like to suffer and shows us that that isn't that isn't all there is and also that that isn't god's punishment right like that that god is with us through that not doing it to us yeah everyone i hope you were able to follow along and gain whatever spiritual guidance or fulfillment or general like i don't know interest Hope you were able to to satisfy any of those things. I guess the reason why you came on and listened today, whether it was to support us, to learn more, to grapple, I hope that you got something from this this episode. We certainly did. Thank you, Isaiah, for getting me together and giving me a lot to chew on for the next week. I appreciate it. Yeah, same. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this has been great. So we're going to combine the two kind of traditions that, that we grew up in in our, in our closing, our benediction, our, our good word to y'all until next time. So live as free people. And keep the faith, baby. Under God was created by Jackie Newsom and Isaiah Lewis. Our music is by Broke for Free. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You're not thankful. I'm not thankful. I'm not grateful at all. Who are you people? And why are you here? <laughs> this is my blanket fort. <laughs> you're either in mine or in, in Jackie's, and either way, it's weird. <laughs> oh no, my blanket's falling. <laughs>